As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The first thing you're going to have to learn is that until you stop expecting our politicians or anyone else to change your life, your life isn't going to change. The only person who can change your life is you, but you need to know how. Listen to my show, the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. Right here on KCAA, now broadcasting on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. The stations that leave no listener behind. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. We consider ourselves a guilty pleasure. The Mitch and Kathy Show. Every Tuesday, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Or 3 to 5 p.m. Pack time on 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, or kcaaradio.com. Did you know here at KCAA 1050 AM that we developed an app for all your Android devices? We're talking about your smartphone, your tablets, you name it. You have an Android format, you can take KCAA with you everywhere you go we're talking about our audio stream our video stream and even our podcast go to kcaaexpress.com that's kcaaexpress.com kcaaexpress.com kcaa loma linda kcaa radio now joins the sunday morning worship services of the pruitt baptist church in van texas with brother mike calhoun How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son To make a wretch His treasure How great the pain of searing loss The Father turned His face away As wounds which mar the Chosen One Bring many sons to glory 
ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his dying breath has brought me I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Amen, amen. Turn over in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. The Gospel... It's, it, when people talk about the gospel, scholars talk about the gospel, they talk about two divisions. Where are some de defining points? Because it's a story. It's a gospel story. It's a message. And uh, it's a favorite uh, subject of debate and uh, for fun, but it's a favorite subject of debate. Where's the tipping point? You know, was it at the birth of Christ? Was it at the first miracle of Christ? Now, where was it? Where is it in the Old Testament? Even in the Old and the New Testament, where is it a, a crescendo, if you will, and then and, and there's two different stories. And, uh, but most believe that it's before the tomb and after the tomb. And so the chapter 15, we're, we're looking at the long, hard road of Christ. Now, we know, we've been preaching through the Gospel of Mark, and we know that Jesus has been marching through. He is, he's got his face set towards the cross. He's heading towards the cross. He's been born. This is his purpose, is the cross. And in chapter 15, we are having a, a consummation of that. And it's heading towards the cross. And did you know that those three days, that the, the scriptures, all four gospels are almost completely silent. And this is one of the great evidences that this is the defining moment. There's everything that happened before the cross. And the next Sunday, we're going to talk about what has happened after the tomb. And see, because if Jesus hadn't, if Jesus hadn't arisen from the tomb, we'd just have another martyr on our hands. He'd be, he would be dead somewhere. We'd make pilgrimages to some tomb somewhere where our leader lay and, and we were serving him out, out, of, that, out of that tomb. <laughs> but, but just as it says on the piano there, he's not here for he's risen. So our king has arisen. And so here is the crescendo point. But it was a long, hard road. Look what it says in chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Early in the morning, the chief priests and the elders and the scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation uh, binding Jesus 
And they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, It is as you say. And the chief priest began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him, saying, Do you not answer? Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. And a man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionist who had committed murders in the insurrection. And the crowd went up and began asking him uh, to do as he had accustomed to do for them. And Pilate answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you king of the Jews? For he was aware the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. And answering, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him? Whom shall you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, Crucify him! But Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! And wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for, for them, and having Jesus scourged, and after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. And so in this, first, in this first portion here, in this first section right here, we see what is seemingly a complicated conspiracy. And in, in their time and in their, in their scenario, as, as this is playing out, the narrative is playing out in real time for them, for the priest, for Pilate, uh, for the disciples, there was always this overwhelming what if. What is going to happen? And what if this happens? Or what if this happens? How, are, you know, the, the, the chief priest, who for envy, it's funny how the Lord brought that out in my study this past week, he, he envied Jesus. What for? Because the people loved him and worshipped him, and he wanted to be loved and worshipped. They were all wondering, what is going to happen? Jesus was never wondering what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen. And so what was a seemingly complicated conspiracy was a truly a carefully choreographed plan of salvation that God was playing out for all of mankind. And also a carefully choreographed plan that he was playing out and laying out for his son. And so it, prov it provides some, some instruction for us and invites provides some encouragement for us, uh, uh, the setting of how Jesus was released. Because there's a sense, there's a sense of helplessness. And we're going to see it just in a moment as we read it's how the soldiers treated him. There's a sense that maybe that God's not in control here and that Jesus is helpless. And we know from Scripture that at any moment he could have cried out and 10,000 angels, that just the, the amount he needed would have come and they would have come to his rescue and taken him uh, from their presence, taken him even from the cross. And so now they take him to a place of incredible cruelty. But before we get there, let's go ahead and read verse 16. Look what it says. The soldiers took him away into that palace that is praetorium. And they called together the whole Roman cohort. And they dressed, they dressed him up in purple. And after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to acclaim him, hell, king of the Jews. And they kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. This was a false worship. And after they mocked him, they took the purple robe off of him and put on, his own, put on him his own garments, and they led him to crucify him. And they pressed into service a passerby coming from the, the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And when they brought him to the place of Golgotha, which is translated the place of skull, they tried to give him wine with myrrh, but he did not take it. Let me stop there. What is about to happen is the crucifixion. 
Now, what we mentioned earlier was a seemingly complicated conspiracy. And that was odd because we said, you know, it seemed like everything was spinning out of control and everyone there was wondering what is going to happen. Jesus knew what was going to happen. God was, what was, knew what was going to happen. But the second great mystery, I believe it to be a mystery, I describe it as a mystery, is why all four gospel writers, when they say of Jesus being crucified, they simply say, and look in verse 24, and they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what, what each should take. Now, on this point of the crucifixion, all four Gospels simply say they crucified him. And any of you who spent any time in a Baptist church or other churches, of uh, Protestant churches, you've heard the, the crucifixion uh, uh, preached in very, it's a very detailed and methodical account of, how, of what they did to our Savior. And I, I wanna, I'm going to touch on some of those things. But have you ever asked yourself, in the narrative, why did all four gospel writers simply say, and they crucified him? And you don't have a blow-by-blow, play-by-play description of every jot and tittle of what they did to our Savior. Well, the answer is, could be a couple of different things. One of the things that could have driven the brevity of that description, and for, so for us in the 21st century to miss it, almost miss it, was the fact that everyone at that time knew what crucifixion was. Everyone did. Everyone knew what that was. They knew what it entailed. Many, many of the population had seen it. And so at that time, there wasn't a need for that. In fact, it may have, it may have even been a distraction. I don't think it would have been. But God, in his wisdom, through all four gospel writers, simply say of Jesus being crucified, and he was crucified. This particular punishment was practiced all throughout the ancient world. It was a very popular form of punishment. It was not regulated just to this particular time frame for the, um, for there were various uh, groups, uh, historical groups, Persians, the Assyrians, the Greeks and the Romans. There is even some suggestions that even the, the Jews themselves had, had practiced this particular form of uh, punishment. So not only was it a practical form for them, and not only was it popular, but it was very prolific. It was throughout the culture. It was one of the most, it was one of the cruelest forms of punishment that could be heaped upon an individual. It was notorious. It was heinous. Why, Brother Mike? Well, because number one, it was slow. You know, there are some things we there are some things worse than death. Somebody say amen. So there's some things worse than death. Uh, those of you, those of us who had loved ones who suffered with some terrible disease, and there was, no, there was no turning back from it, we get to a certain point. I've been there. I have been there where we, you begin to pray that way. You begin to think that way. Lord, please come. Please come. Well, this was one of the cruelest deaths that they could inflict upon a person at that particular time in history uh, because it didn't pierce any vital organs. It didn't pierce usually any uh, vital arteries. And so a person was pierced in his hands and his feet. He was hung upon a cross through his ankle bone. Uh, of which we have relics. There are, there are uh, uh, ankle bones that have Roman nails through them that have been preserved for us in history. More than one. We know this is how they used to do this. It was a very public affair. It was savage. It was a grim reminder for its potency of why not to confront the state. And yet here it's minusculely, it's so briefly described. I think it's good for us as Christians. I think it's good for us as Christians to stop and reflect at times about what our Savior went through. I think, it's, uh, I think it moves us 
Um, the gospel was shared with me. The, the man who shared the gospel with me did not go through a long... He just simply said, Jesus died for your sins, and he was going to forgive you of everything you've done. It was later on, as I began to study the Bible and as I was discipled, that the, full, the fuller weight of that man's great sacrifice for me began to bear down on me, and has throughout my Christian life. When, when I will stop and think about it. Because you guys, you see, in all the praise songs that we sing and, and how we dress up our faith in beautiful buildings and, and, and the beautiful literature that we, that we have and leather-bound Bibles that we have, at the core of all of that, that is really nothing. At the core of that is a man named Jesus who suffered incredibly like no other man has ever suffered for me and you personally. It is a personal, it is a personal action that has had taken place for you and I some 2,000 years ago. It's highly personalized. And I'm not calling it a deficit or even an error. I'm just simply saying it is so brief that it's described. And they crucified him. This, for surely, this surely was in fulfillment of the passage out of Deuteronomy where a man who was hung on a cross was cursed. It says, if a man committed a sin worthy of death, he's put on... He, if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, he is put to death. And you hang him on a tree, and his corpse shall not... Hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land, which the Lord your God gave you as an inheritance. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So for the Jews, this was a great stigma. There was a great religious stigma because it violated an Old Testament passage that said that even if you killed someone who was, who was worthy of death, they committed some crime, you hang them on a tree, but don't let them hang all, don't let them hang continuously because if you do, it defiles the land. So when this happened to Jesus, that's why Paul calls him a stumbling block. On many different levels for the Jewish people today, Jesus is a stumbling block, but one of the main ones was that he was hung on a tree. And, he viol and it violated a command out of the Old Testament that he hung there. And he but see, it wasn't he that really was hanging there. Now, wait, let me be careful I say this. It wasn't really he that was supposed to be hanging there. It was you and I that was supposed to be hanging there. 
It wasn't his sin because we know that he was a perfect man. He was, there, there was one perfect man in the world, and his name was Jesus, and they killed him and put him on a cross. That's the only perfect, that's the only perfect person you have ever met in your life. His name was Jesus. Sometimes when I'm counseling a child, and Ron, I bet you've done this as well. Sometimes when I'm counseling a child and we're talking about the plan of salvation, and I use Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I might have a little 8 or 9 or 10-year-old there, and I'm talking with them, and I'm saying, and, and I said, you understand that's me and your, your Sunday school teacher and your mama and your daddy. And those, I, I mean, you can see the scope beginning. It says, whoa, we really are all sinners. And I think we need to come to that place as Christians sometimes. We need to revisit that and meditate on that fact. We are all sinners. And when we come to that realization, it does so many different wonderful things for us. It, it does give us a deeper appreciation of the gospel and of Jesus and his sacrifice. But, you know, it, tender, it tenderizes our heart towards one another as well. So that when we make mistakes and we sin against one another, amen? And when we sin against one another or someone sins against us, it softens our hearts. It was not brief, although there is a brief description. It was notorious. It, it did serve a military, a social, and a political purpose. It was devastating to the person and those who watched it. And yet it was an example of God's love towards us because he was willing to send his son. I wrestle with that. I still wrestle with the fact God sent his son. He didn't send his son to do his best to try to intercede for me and make an argument. He sent his son to die for me and for you. It was a seemingly complicated conspiracy. But what it was really leading up to was the cross. And who were they crucifying? None other but the king of kings. Look what it says in verses 24 and following. And they crucified him, and they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide which each man should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. They were crucifying a king. You understand that the kingdom had come in Jesus. Jesus, there, there's a paradox here because he is our great mighty king, and yet look what they did to him. They, put him, they took our king, all-powerful king, and he allowed himself to be put on a cross. They came for him in the garden. You know that he, even his very name has power because when they came for him in the garden and they were saying, they were searching for him and he said, are you Jesus Nazareth? And he said, I am. And the gospel of John records and they all fell back. It was, a, it wasn't a Benny Hinn story, was it? It was the power of God. The great I am was there and they'd come for him. And just him saying, I am, they all fell to the ground. And yet that's who they're crucifying here as our king. There's a paradox there, but he, he, he is the kingdom. He is, he is in him, of himself the kingdom. And when we see him presented, Jesus presented, we're seeing the kingdom presented. We've already preached. We have preached through the gospel of Mark, and we've seen the proofs of the kingdom. Because he preached, as, he preached with authority. He preached like he wrote that. Well, guess what he had? He preached like he was the origin of this and the authority for what he was saying. That was because he was. He was the author of those very words. And we see that he had power over the demons and he was able to heal the sick and even the weather obeyed him and storms and he said hush to a storm and the storm hushed. Somebody say amen. And he does that in your life and my life still yet today, doesn't he? And when a strong wind and, and various trials blow up in our lives and, the, and we pray and we talk to the Lord, he can say in our heart of hearts, hush. And even the storm is quiet. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 15, he is the blessed and the only sovereign king of kings, the Lord of lords, 
who alone possesses immortality and dwells in an unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and glory forever and ever dominion. In Hebrews 1 and 3, he is the radiance of the glory and the ex exact representation of nature and upholds all things by the power of his word. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much better than the angels, as he has an inheritance more excellent than they. This is our king that they crucified, that we were responsible for them crucifying. Spoken of long ago, God has spoken to, about uh, to us finally through his son Jesus. He is the appointed one, the worthy one, the eternal one, the all-powerful one, the ruler of this world. They crucified our king. And as they crucified him, there, was a, there were criminals in the crowd. Look what it says as we read on in verse 27. And they crucified the two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture, verse 28, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Now, you know this story. It's a wonderful story. It's a great sermon, but we're just going to use it as a point this morning. But they crucified him between two criminals. And this fulfilled an Old Testament prophecy that said he, was, he would be crucified with the transgressors. And so he was with the transgressors. He was not a transgressor, but he took on our transgressions and took on our penalty and he was crucified, and one of them looks at him, and they see something. Hey, who are you? Aren't you? If you are the Son of God, save us. Save us and yourself. Get us down from here. Get us out of this mess. But the other criminal saw something also. While one saw a way maybe he could save himself and was trying to save himself, another saw the Son of God. He said, don't, don't you fear God? In Luke's gospel, he said, the other one answered rebuking him, saying, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence and condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly. He recognized his own sin. For we're receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He recognized the innocence of Jesus. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, you shall be with me. Today you will be with me in paradise. Amen? Amen. Imagine having been that man upon the cross and having Jesus look you in the face and say, today, today you will be with me in paradise. Very, very possibly the last, could have very possibly been the very last convert made before the Savior's death. Of course, people are still doing that today. People are trying to save themselves. I'll get out of this jam one way or another by myself. I'll get out of this. I'll fix this. And you know how, let me, let me retranslate that for you. I'll start the church. I'll start the church when I get my life fixed up. I'll, I'll get my family in and I'll start teaching them about the Bible when things are better. When we get to a better place, when we get to a better spot in our lives, I'll start doing the things that I, I'm feeling led to do. But I, No, you won't. No, you won't. Not until you come to the man, Jesus, and you meet him, and you make him the Lord of your life, and you love him more than anything else. Then all that other stuff will come. What did he say? What did he say about the kingdom of God? And all these other things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. What, we're, either, we're either the one... We're either the one thief on the cross who just wants to get out of this thing in one piece. You're not going to do it. You try to save your own life, you're, going to, you're not going to save your own self. You're going, to, you're going to die lost and alone and away from God, and you'll spend eternity in hell. Or like the other thief on the cross, we recognize our sin. We recognize the innocence of the man in between us. And we say, please remember me. You, know, you can be saved. That's, the short, that's one of the shortest invitations that's given in the Bible right there. Please remember me when you come into your kingdom. I wish these people quit telling me about all the things people have to do to get saved. 
I wish they would. When it says in Romans uh, 10 and 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's pretty, that's pretty brief. It helps you in your theology a lot, doesn't it? Isaiah 53, therefore I will allot him a portion with great, and he will be divided the booty with the strong, because he poured himself out at death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and yet he himself bore, sin, bore the sins of many, and interceded for the transgressions of many. He was crucified between two criminals. And then there was a cry from the cross. Verse 36, and someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, and they put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, let us see whether Elijah will come for him now. And Jesus uttered a loud cry, and he breathed his last breath. So our Savior cried. They, they killed our king. They, they put him on a cross. They killed our king. He was that perfect sacrifice, but something wonderful happened in that moment. Look at verse 38. And the temple of the veil, and the veil of the temple, rather, was torn in two from the top to the bottom. When Jesus died, that perfect sacrifice, this is why we use, let me bore you for just a moment. That's why we use the word propitiation and not expiation. Propitiation is a word that simply describes a God who is a holy God, a jealous God, a just God, and sin must be paid for. And Jesus came and paid that price. And that's the gospel. Expiation means that just anything, it's like a traffic fine that's just being paid. I think much deeper of what Jesus did for me than this, just a traffic fine. When Jesus, I believe that when Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, that somehow in his great, in his great knowledge and his great omniscience, he was thinking of me, Mike Calhoun. He was thinking of Amy Buzz. He was thinking of Ron Bry, of Kathy McClendon. He was thinking of me when he gave that last breath. He cried that last cry with his voice. And who was the very first convert after he was saved? Verse 38 says, The veil of the temple was torn from the top and the bottom, and when the centurion who was standing at the right, right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last breath, said, Truly this man was the Son of God. This was a soldier. This was a leader, a hardened Roman centurion. But he had been watching something. And it's not that this man had never seen anybody to die. I wasn't there. I haven't talked to the centurion. But let me tell you, I've heard about the Romans. I've studied a little bit about them. They weren't pushovers, okay? They swept through the Western world, and there was the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. They established peace by iron. They were formidable. He'd seen many, many, very possibly thousands of people die, and many this way. And yet he looked into the face of our king, and he said, Whoa, truly, this man was the son of God. And I don't know what's hardened you in your life. I don't know where you went to school, what kind of parents you had, or what kind of background you come from, but I'm telling you this morning, if you look deeply into the face of the man they hung on the tree, you too will say, truly, this man was the son of God. And my hope and my prayer is that you would accept him as your Lord and your Savior, and you would turn and be converted. Do you know the word for cross in the New Testament and the word for reconciliation are the same? In 2 Corinthians 5 and 19 Paul wrote, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And he committed to us the word of reconciliation. The word for cross 
and the word for reconciliation are the same word. And what Jesus has done for us beckons to those of you who do not know him through the centuries, through the ages, saying, turn and be saved. Believe the truth of the gospel. That's what Easter is all about right there. That's what the Easter story, and it's a long, hard road, and you and I couldn't have walked it because we're not perfect. You and I couldn't have done it because we're not God, but Jesus did it for us. And it was a long, hard road, but he fulfilled that ministry. And his plea and his invitation to you this morning and next week is you would accept the gospel truth of who Jesus is and how he can change your life forever. I have no heart-twisting illustration to give you this morning because Jesus stands alone as a perfect illustration of God's love for you. And he's worthy of your love and your adoration. He's worthy of you to worship him. I invite you. I invite you. I invite you. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Just the, just the pure word of God. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the salvation you have provided for us through your son Jesus. And now I ask you, O oh Lord, to move in the midst of this congregation right now by the power of your Holy Spirit and the hearts that have not yet come to know you. I pray that you would turn those hearts, soften those hearts. Right now this morning, O oh Lord, I believe there are men and women, boys and girls who are listening and they're wanting to say yes to you. They never have, but they know they need to. I pray that you would turn their hearts toward you. And Father, even in California, where this uh, message will be played in the city of Los Angeles, I pray, dear Lord, if somebody hears this message, they would recognize the truth of the gospel. They would pray and they would ask you to come into their heart and receive you as Lord and Savior. Lord, you can do this, and I'm asking you to do it. Only you can do this. We can't do it for ourselves. And I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said. You are listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Pastor David McNary. Turning your Bibles, if you will, to chapter 17 in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, and from verse 22 to 31, we find a message which was preached by Paul in Athens, not Athens, Texas, Athens, Greece. He was preaching to a very, very religious group of Gentiles. It said that in Paul's day, when a person entered the city of Athens, he immediately discovered their religious zeal because their streets were literally lined with idols and altars. One source that I looked at said 30,000 of them. They had their altars and their idols to 30,000 different deities, or some of them were different. I guess probably some of them were same. They were so concerned about failing to recognize one of the deities, one of the gods, little, little G, that they even erected an altar to the unknown God, just in case there's one we don't know about. We don't want to leave anybody out. We want everybody to be included. So when Paul entered the city, he saw that strange altar, and, and he quickly made his way to the synagogue, and it says that he preached in the synagogue and in the marketplaces, and here and there, everywhere he could go, as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He preached to them and he began by preaching to the Jews. And then there were some of the other leaders of the other religious sects, uh, cults or whatever the other organizations, that they began, to, they began to hear, hey, wait a minute, these Jews are talking about this guy Paul and he's been saying some things. We better go check him out and find out what's going on. So when they heard of what he was saying, they actually invited him. Boy, that's, that's one of those deals, you know, you get a whole bunch of religious leaders together, you get a whole bunch of preachers together, and you invite somebody in to tell us, oh, we want to hear what you have to say. And so they invited him to come and tell them about his strange teaching. The Bible says that Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. He was at the Areopagus. He was in Mars Hill, and he preached to them on the subject of the unknown God. He said, okay, I've noticed you have an altar to an unknown God. Well, let me tell you who he is because he's not any of these others that you have made altars for. He's not any of these others that you've made idols to. I believe it's important to note that following Paul's gospel presentation that people responded in three different ways. The people responded in three different ways. And whenever you take a look at these three ways that people responded, what you discover is that it's actually pretty universal. The response that people have to the gospel presentation is pretty universal. And it will fall into one of the three categories. And so today our subject is titled, Man's Response to the Gospel. Man's Response to the Gospel. Now, for us to have a clear understanding of what we're talking about, by the way, I was privileged to be in a conference early this week on Monday. On Monday, I sat in a chair for 10 hours so that I could learn this. And I want to tell you something because I think it's important for us to know we need to have a clear understanding of what the gospel is. Because if you go out here on the street and you ask 10 people what is meant by the word gospel, you'll probably get 10 answers, at least nine. Okay, you'll get all of those answers. Well, what is it? Well, this is the gospel in your hand. The gospel of Jesus Christ is commonly understood in Christianity today to consist of five key elements and one powerful result. Okay, and here's what he said. It is, in fact, an acrostic. 
gospel. God's character. The G is God's character. In Ephesians 2 and verse 4, but God being rich in mercy. It's God's character. The O is the offense of sin. He says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5. The S is the sufficiency of Christ. He says, made us live together with Christ and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. The P is personal response. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, it's a personal response. He offers you the gift, it's grace, and, he, and you have to receive the gift through faith. And the E is eternal urgency. Eternal urgency. In Ephesians 2 and verse 7, he says, So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Listen, it is eternally urgent that you respond, that you respond to the gospel. It's a personal response, and it is urgent that you do so. And then the L, what is the L? The L is chapter 2 and verse 10. It is the life transformation. There are five parts to the gospel, five gospel essentials, and one result, and that one result is a life transformation. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God hath prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so that's the gospel. That's what the gospel is all about. It's all about God caring about me. It's all about God's love for me. It's about God's character and His mercy towards me. It's about faith. It's about transformation. And it is an urgent matter. We need to be busy letting people know that they need to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 8 through 10, Paul put it this way. He said, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And I realize that some of you are saying, wait a minute, he's changing the words. I was just quoting that out of the ESV, out of the English Standard Bible. Now I want you to notice that Paul puts a great deal of significance, we talk about this regularly, a great deal of significance in believing in the resurrection. That's what he says. You have to believe in the resurrection. He said, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You have to what? We always, you know, just used to say, well, you have to confess. You have to believe. You have to believe. Yeah, but you have to believe something specific. You have to believe that Jesus is different from every other religious person, religious leader out there. Because God has raised him from the dead. You have to believe that in order to be saved. Then here in Acts, he says, our assurance is found in the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. Our assurance is in Him that God has raised Him. God has raised Him from the dead. So it's important, it's critical for us to understand that we serve, we serve a risen Savior. That song we sometimes sing, I serve a risen Savior. A risen, a what? A risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy. 
I hear his voice of cheering just the time I need him. He's always near. And then it says, he lives, he lives. Listen, he lives. Jesus Christ is alive today. And folks, that ought to put a smile on everybody's face who is calling themselves a child of God. So first of all, Paul preached a very, very simple gospel message, only a few verses in your Bible. But then he waited he waited for their response. And I want you to notice it in Acts chapter 17, verse 32 through 34. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, when you start talking to people about resurrection of the dead, you're going to get a response. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit it says, certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Now I want you to notice within these verses there are three, there are three responses. First I want you to notice that some of them were incensed. Some of them were incensed. They were mad. They didn't like what they were hearing. They didn't believe what they were hearing. And they were just incensed. And so they began to mock him and they began to make fun of him. Now, when I started looking at this, it reminded me of some of these political rallies that have been on TV lately. Have you noticed anything about... Have you ever noticed that in political rallies, people get kind of polarized? Can you not picture in your mind some of the things that happen? Listen... There'll be people over here that'll be standing up and they're all for this candidate. And then over here, there's people, hopefully they're across the street. They'll be over here and they're all against that candidate, but they're for another candidate. And they're holding up signs, hateful signs, mean-spirited signs. And they're holding them up against each other. But that's what happened here. You see, Paul stood up and he preached the truth. You might as well understand that if you tell the truth, there are going to be some people that's not going to like it. They're not going to like it. You start talking about Jesus, how God raised him up from the dead, they're not going to like it. Now, it's going to be real nice of them if they only make fun of you because there are those who do other things which are evil. So that's what happened. He preached the gospel. He told them the truth. Listen, he told them how to be saved. They told them the best news they could ever hear, and yet it wasn't what they believed, and so they were incensed, they were mad, and they began to mock him, and they began to make fun of him. You know, I think sometimes we like to measure a person's success by popularity. Well, with this group of people, Paul wasn't popular, I'll tell you that. He wasn't popular with them. But I want to tell you something about God's value system. It's different than man's value system. You don't have to be popular with man to be doing what God says. And in fact, if you're doing what God says, you won't be popular with a lot of people. They're going to be incensed by what you have to say. They're going to be incensed. They're going to mock and they're going to make fun of you at your expense. You know, witnessing to a friend who likes you a lot is hard, isn't it? Witnessing to a friend, telling a friend. I mean, sometimes we make friends and we don't know whether they're Christian or not. And so what we usually like to do is just assume that they are. Isn't that right? But you know what? When we make that kind of assumption, we're really not being a very good friend, are we? 
Do you want to stand in heaven one day or before the judgment seat one day and for somebody to say, why didn't you tell me? I thought we were friends. Listen, the greatest thing you can do for your friends is to be sure that they know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. To be sure that one day you know you're going to spend eternity in heaven, in heaven with them. I think sometimes whenever we're mocked and made fun of, we feel like a failure. But in God's value system, success is measured in faithfulness. Faithfulness. As long as you're doing what the Lord asks you to do, you can know that you're successful. As long as you're sharing your faith and living before others your faith, you can know you're successful. The increase part of this is all up to God. We're just, we're just responsible for sharing the truth. In essence, what God says is when we do anything in service to Him through faith, it will accomplish what He wants and it will do what He says it should do. So success is found in faithfulness. And even though some of these people mocked him, even though some were incensed, even though some were mad at him, you remember what they did to Stephen because Stephen preached the gospel? You remember what they did to him? They set him outside of the camp and all of the people of the city came and picked up rocks and stoned him to death. And he fell down and he died giving praise and glory and honor to God. So first of all, some were incensed. Then secondly, the Scripture tells us that some were intrigued. Some were intrigued. In verse 32, they said, Hmm, we will hear thee again of this matter. Hmm, I want to know a little more. You see, they'd never heard anything quite like what Paul was telling them, these Gentiles. And, and despite the multiplicity of religions that were a recognized part of their culture, they still had not heard about the resurrection of the dead. They still had not before heard about Jesus and His payment for their sins on the cross. So He preached the gospel. And they heard the gospel. And they were not willing to commit at that time, but they were genuinely interested. Or at least they were puzzled enough that they wanted to they wanted to hear more. Sometimes somebody will say something that's a little puzzling. We go, hmm, I believe I, want to, I believe I want to talk to you a little bit more and find out what you're talking about, you know? Sometimes my wife will say something to me, and we'll be in conversation, and then she'll say something else, and I'll say, uh-oh, you changed subjects on me. <laughs> With old people, you have to do that slowly. Don't change subjects too fast because it takes us a little time to catch up. And listen, that's what was going on here. These people were intrigued. They were interested. They were at least puzzled. I want to tell you something. There's been numerous times in the past almost 40 years in the full-time pastorate that I've had people ask me things like that. Say, that sure did sound interesting, but I don't fully understand. Well, let's clear it up. It's important for us to clear it up. They will say, I'm, I'm interested in what you have to say, but I don't fully understand. Well, let's, let's get to the place where we fully understand it. Now, if you let them go away, it's dangerous. If you've shared the gospel and they've not fully accepted what you've had to say and you let them go away somewhere else, it's a frightening thing. You see, because even though they might say that they're interested and even though they might say they're intrigued and even though they might say that they want to hear more, there are some problems with that because 
for one thing, if I preach the gospel to you today and you're only intrigued, then you may never ever hear the gospel from me again. I'm just like you. I don't have, I don't have any assurance that I'll live another day. I don't have any assurance that my heart right now will not stop beating and never beat again. So I may not have another opportunity to share the gospel with you. Not only that, you may not ever have another opportunity to hear the gospel. That's how critical it is. You know, I told you about the eternal urgency. Gospel, the eternal urgency. Listen, this is an urgent matter. If God is dealing with you today, if God is revealing to you today that you need to trust Jesus, you need to respond to the gospel through faith, then you need to do that today. You don't need to put it off. There's also a third thing here, and that is if you're intrigued or interested and you don't make a decision, don't make a commitment to God today, the devil will work. He'll do his best to try to steal away that intrigue. He'll do his best to try to distract you from ever hearing the gospel again. He will even give you something else to replace that intrigue that you have. The bad thing about that is that in any case, whether it's me not being able to preach, you not being able to hear, the devil stealing away, the result is the same, and that is that you risk slipping into a Christless eternity, a place in the Bible called hell, a place of condemnation. So some mocked, some, some were incensed, uh, some were intrigued, and finally, praise the Lord, some were inspired. Some were inspired to believe. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed and believed. They believed the message of the gospel. They believed in Jesus Christ that he became their Savior. You see, the creator of the world and of humankind loves us so much that he has made it possible for us to be eternally saved through simple faith, through simple faith in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read part of this a while ago, beginning in verse 4. Paul says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. What? Mercy and love. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Now, and then he tells us how. In verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's not something you've done. It's the gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. You see, you can't be saved by doing good works. Do you know that? Now, there's a lot of people. Listen, I want to tell you something. Whenever I was a teenager, when I was a young person growing up, I believe that's how you got saved. I believe that's how you got saved. I guess maybe they spent a little too much time in the Old Testament on the commandments. I don't know. They were trying, probably trying to get me straightened out and wanted me to live according to the commandments. But I began to believe, in, and literally this is the picture I had in my mind, that God had a great scale. You see, he had a balance. And on the one side, he put all the bad things I did. And on the other side, he put all the good things that I did. And I assumed that However, the balance tilted, okay? 
If the meter went this way, all the good things. If the meter went this way, I go to heaven. If it went this way, I'm in big trouble. Now, I want to tell you something about that. That's a religion. It's a work-based religion. And that's what I believe. The problem with that is you can never have joy. You can't have joy with that kind of religion because you never know where you stand with God. And yet the Bible tells us that we can know where we stand with God. We can know perfectly where we stand with God. Over in 1 John chapter 5, in verse 13, it says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to question. And if you're in this balance deal and you're wondering and you're questioning, let me tell you something. It's doomsday because you can't be saved by doing good works. He makes it clear. It is not by works. It is by His grace and through faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Folks, salvation is a gift from God. It's the result of coupling God's grace with your faith. Somebody once wrote these words, If salvation were based on education, some would not have enough intelligence to be saved. If salvation were based on wealth, some could never earn enough in a lifetime to be saved. If salvation were based on good works, some would not have enough time or the energy or the desire to do what was required. But salvation is a gift from God, and it's based on faith in Jesus Christ to anyone, any age, of any ethnicity, and any place. The story is told of a very sick little Irish boy. He was in a missionary hospital. One day, one of the missionary ladies came to visit him. And in, in a, just a little bit of time, she discovered that even though he had a little bit of religious background, he had, he had never committed his life to Christ. And she explained to him the simplicity of the gospel, just like I shared it with you a while ago. She explained to him the simplicity of the gospel. She prayed for him, and she left. Now, you say, well, that, isn't, that, isn't that risky? Well, he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready to make a decision. Believe me, I've done that before. I got home from visiting the hospital. The guy was very sick. He was cleaning out a, a cottonseed bin, and he pulled off his shirt. It was real hot, and he began to sweat, and all of that poison off of those cottonseed got on his body, and it almost killed him. He was in the hospital, and I went and visited him. Knew, knew that he was not a Christian. I'd known his family, and I knew that he was not a Christian. And I shared Christ with him. He was kind of out of it, not fully aware of what was going on. And I, I said, now I'm going to pray with you, and I want you to think about what I've said. I got home, Pat said, oh, that's risky. I said, no, it's not, because I prayed that God would let him live at least till tomorrow when I go back. And I believed that God was going to honor that prayer. And I went back the next day. And I said, do you remember me being here yesterday? Yes, I do. Do you remember what I told you? Yes, I do. Can you tell me what I said? And he quoted it back to me almost verbatim. And I said, now, you know the truth. Do you want to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And he said, yes, I do. And he prayed to receive Christ that day in that hospital bed. He would not have remembered. I don't think he'd remembered if it had been yesterday. He needed that day. And that's the way this little boy was. This, this missionary lady left him to think about 
what she had told him about what he needed. And so a few days later, the lady came back again. And when she walked in, she found that boy's face aglow. He was smiling. His face was aglow. And she knew immediately that he had found a brand new joy. It was the evidence of a newfound faith. And when she inquired to the reason that the boy the boy replied with enthusiasm, Oh, Mrs. I always knew that Jesus was necessary, but I never knew that Jesus was enough. Jesus is enough, folks. He's necessary, but He's also enough. He's all you need. Now that you've heard it, and now that you know, now that you know what the gospel requires, now that you know what's necessary in your life, now that you know what is your response to the gospel this time. What's going to be your response to the gospel this time? Now, I realize that most of us here today are believers in Christ. But you know, anytime a crowd gathers, there's always a chance that there's someone there that doesn't believe in Jesus. And I would be remiss in my responsibility if I didn't share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, you've heard the gospel just like they did on that day. What is your response? Are you incensed? Do you want to leave here and go somewhere else? You probably wouldn't be wise to do it here because there's a lot of folks here who are Christians, but do you want to leave here and go somewhere else and have preacher for lunch? You know, I can't believe he actually stood up there and said that. He, what he said was it that I can't be saved except through Jesus. That's exactly what I said, and it's the truth. That's God's Word. That's not me making it up. That's what God says. Will you be incensed? Will you go away and mock and make fun? Well, that's all right if you do. Will you be intrigued? Hmm. You know, that's interesting. I, I, didn't, I didn't know all that. I, you know, I never really looked at that very closely before, and I didn't know that. Will you be intrigued by what's been said here today? Or will you... Finally, will you finally believe and be saved? You see, that's why I'm here. Did you know that? I'm here because I love people and I want people to get saved. I want people to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. I want you, whoever you are here today, I want you to spend eternity in heaven with me. I like you. I love you in Jesus. And I want you to go to heaven with me someday at the end of your earthly existence when you depart here. Listen, it's the longest trip and the shortest amount of time you'll ever make. You'll leave here and you'll be in heaven just like that. Well, quicker than that. Quicker than that. If you're a child of God. But it's the same quickness. If you're not a child of God, it's just not heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for Paul. Thank you that he preached clearly and to the point and gave them the opportunity to be saved. And Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, that some believed. And Father, I pray that many of those who were intrigued, those who were, who were interested, that they later believed. And Dear Father, I pray that even, even some of those who were incensed and mocked and made fun of Paul that maybe they even came to believe. But more than that, God, 
I pray that somehow or another before we leave this place today that every single person who's in here right now, right now might go away having believed in Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. Please speak to our hearts, God. Help us to hear you and help us to respond to the gospel in a positive way by believing in Jesus Christ and receiving the gift of eternal life. Speak to us, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas. A podcast of the service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963-7473. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. A vast number of Americans live in small cities and towns where citizens volunteer to serve on local boards and commissions. How effective are they at making decisions when it comes to zoning, planning, and other important matters? It's these boards and commissions that I study that sort of are on the front lines of dealing with these growth challenges, and that's why I think it's important to understand how these entities operate. Then, the Americans with Disabilities Act is considered a major piece of civil rights legislation. We'll talk to an expert to get the surprising story of how the law came into existence. In those days, you couldn't maneuver the streets, you couldn't hold a job, you couldn't take the subway or train. Nothing was accessible, and that is part of your civil rights. Those two stories and more are ahead on this week's InfoTrack. Jimmy John's Freaky Fast, Freaky Fresh. I'm calling because I saw one of your delivery persons today, and he was totally naked. Ma'am, I sincerely want to apologize for any... Fuck naked right there on the street. Ma'am, we're doing all we can to... And I say it's about on time. I know, and I'm gonna... Wait, what? The human body is a beautiful thing, don't you agree? Well, I... We've suffered the tyranny of clothing for way too long. Okay, but... So thanks, Jimmy John's, for going all natural. Actually, ma'am, it's our meats that are all natural. Say what now? Our meats are all natural. Wood-smoked ham, choice roast beef, real fresh turkey breast, all natural and freaky fresh. So I don't suppose I can expect all natural delivery in the future? Uh, no. As a small business owner, you make every dollar count. So what could you do with $10? Go to Vistaprint.com today and you'll get 500 high-quality custom business cards for only $9.99. That's less than $0.02 per card. And at Vistaprint, your satisfaction is absolutely guaranteed. So it's never been easier to turn 500 strangers into connections. Just visit Vistaprint.com and use promo code 2000 at checkout. That's Vistaprint.com, promo code 2000. Whoa, what do you have there? It's a Reese and Irvy's frozen yogurt. We just had our robot make one. A robot made your frozen yogurt? Yes, from Reese and Irvy's, the world's first fully interactive robot vending machine that serves nine flavors of delicious yogurt with six amazing toppings. And it's available for an exclusive franchise opportunity. 
Wait, you mean I can own my own frozen yogurt robots? And make money at the same time. These robots are the future of frozen yogurt franchising. They can be placed almost anywhere and operate 24-7. Malls, theme parks, grocery stores, you name it. A robot that serves frozen yogurt. That's revolutionary. Exactly. Reason Irvy's Froyo robots are taking the market by a storm. No more messy yogurt bars, long lines, or do-it-yourself machines. Just delicious frozen yogurt in 60 seconds or less. Anytime, anywhere. How do I get my own Reese and Irvy's robots? It's easy, but you better act now. Locations and machines are going fast. Just go to FroyoFranchising.com and enter promo code 7575. That's FroyoFranchising.com, promo code 7575. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. If you live in one of America's smaller cities or towns, chances are the people serving on your local boards and commissions are volunteers. How are these people recruited and how do they make decisions? InfoTrack's Roy Mackey talked with an expert to get the answers. Roy? Thank you, Chris. We're talking with Dr. Rob Baker. He's a professor of political science at Wittenberg University in Springfield, Ohio, and the author of Government in the Twilight Zone, Volunteers to Small City Boards and Commissions. Now, you examine how local government works in smaller cities and towns across America, and that comprises a pretty substantial percentage of the overall population, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Actually, this is a little surprising to me when I started the research. 97% of all American cities that are incorporated anyway are ones with populations of fewer than 50,000 people. So millions of us are experiencing civic life in these cities, and we just don't really know a lot about them. So your book is based on several surveys across several states. Let's start with just what those surveys were looking at. Sure. There were three waves of surveys. Two waves dealt with asking members of boards and commissions, like planning commissions and park boards, about why they volunteered to serve on these commissions, what their experiences were like, what they thought of their experiences. I did an initial wave in early 1990s with just... Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.